Hi, I'm Seth Gumry, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream. In this podcast, we introduce you to thought leaders who are shaping the lives of the next generation to discuss the challenges and innovations influencing higher education and how we can adapt to give students a strong foundation for their futures. Today, I have the opportunity to talk to Dr. Lake Lambert, the 16th president of Hanover College. During his tenure, Dr. Lambert has reestablished the Bachelor of Science degree, launched new academic majors in engineering, redesigned the core liberal arts curriculum, developed career pathways and institutional partnerships in nursing and accounting. Prior to Hanover, he served as the Dean of Mercer University's College of Liberal Arts and was a professor of religion and Board of Regents Chair in Ethics at Wartburg College. Dr. Lambert earned his Bachelor of Arts and Master of Theological Studies degrees from Emory University and earned a Doctor of Philosophy degree from Princeton Theological Seminary. His areas of research interests include professional ethics, the intersection of Christianity and American culture, and church-related higher education. His book, Spirituality, Inc., Religion in the American Workplace, published in 2009, surveys the role of spirituality in business. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Lambert. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. You didn't intend to pursue a higher education career. Uh, you started out pursuing it, being a Lutheran minister. Can you talk about your experiences and, and what you take from your background and, and how that translates into, into higher education? Well, I don't know if a lot of people show up at college knowing that they want to be a college professor. And that's probably how I arrived, too. I, I thought that I, I wanted to be a Lutheran minister when I, when I got to college. But probably like a lot of folks who end up as college professors, uh, and this is a little cliche, but I would say that I fell in love with the life of the mind, this idea that I could, that I could think big ideas, that I could be engaged and explore these great questions of human existence and our relationship to the natural world and, and all of those things, it just opened to me in, in an amazing way that I fell in love with and wanted to continue my education and knew that I wanted to study theology, that that was what I was really excited about and passionate about and, and did that. Still not knowing for sure, perhaps, whether or not I would end up in education and then going on to a PhD. And one thing that became really clear, though, was that whereas a lot of my colleagues working on a PhD in theology saw that their professional home was going to be in a seminary teaching future ministers, so professional education, I knew from the get-go that I was interested in teaching undergraduates, working with undergraduates, and, uh, and no one says that they usually like teaching general education courses, but I love general education. I love it. And, I, and that was, has always been my great joy is to be able to teach students who aren't interested in being theology majors or religion majors, but to introduce these questions to them and let them wrestle with it and, and be part of that conversation with them. I think you're very right. Most of us didn't go into college saying, I want to be a, a college professor. And I would say, then probably even a smaller percentage went into college saying, I want to be a higher education administrator from that. I think there are some interesting questions with the sort of the great transition or resignation as we're talking about it and, and how, how do we bring more people into, into the fold beyond just, I went to college and, oh, hey, there's that, oh, you know, someone over, oh, they, they worked in that office. Maybe I could work over there in that office. Well, so much of life is about exploring and seeing what those interesting things are. And, and one of my ongoing things that I tell our undergraduates is, is that your major is not your destiny. And all you have to do is to meet the alumni of Hanover College to know that that's true. The alumni of any great liberal arts college 
that's going to be a true story. Uh, and, and you'll find them in all kinds of different professions and fields of endeavor. And talking about your students, in your inaugural address at, at Hanover, you spoke about students having a tough mind and a tender heart when it came to their education. Can you share more about what that means and how does that specifically apply to Hanover? One of the things that uh, I've taught uh, throughout my teaching career was uh, the life and theological vision of Martin Luther King Jr. So the, the idea of a tough mind and tender heart isn't mine. It is Dr. King's. It comes from a sermon that he wrote and, and delivered where he was preaching on from Matthew's gospel and the, the text about being wise as serpents, gentle as doves. When Dr. King applied it to education, that really helped me articulate what my vision of education is. It's holistic. It is about community. It is about knowledge. It is about empathy. It's about service. It speaks to the reality that, that knowledge without heart, without moral vision can be dangerous. Uh, that, uh, that a moral vision without knowledge and expertise to back it up is, um, is impotent. And so it comes together in being a place, which I think Hanover is, and, and many other small church-related liberal arts colleges, where we're unafraid to talk about values, where we're unafraid to talk about questions of faith, alongside you still have to learn how to do the derivative and calculus. You still have to learn how these molecules fit together in a, in a chemistry course. But we can, we can put that into a package on the curricular side, but then also in a co-curricular uh, residential learning experience. And that's what I'm, I'm passionate about, is that holistic approach to education. As you and I have talked about in the past, it's the sort of narrative of the college degree not being worth it, right? And what you're, what you're talking about is, is the value of, of the liberal arts education and, and the value of coming to a place and, and expanding your mind, expanding what you're exposed to. What's the work that you're doing at Hanover specifically, but how do we, how do we help change that narrative? And how do we help put, I hate to say it, how do we help put a value to you know, what you, what you just said and, and really make sure that, that folks understand, you know, this is one of the key, the key core values that you're getting when you are, when you're pursuing a, a four-year degree. Well, I think that one of the key things is, is to help students and families uh, distinguish between their short-term and their long-term benefits of an education. And like so much of American society in general, we are fixated on the short term, the immediate gratification, the what is my first job, not what's my 10th job. Um, sort of what am I going to do in four years when I graduate? Not am I going to be prepared to reinvent myself multiple times over a 40 year plus career all the way to my retirement? Those are the questions that we don't ask in our process. And I think it's incumbent upon higher education leaders to talk more about that that uh, this isn't just about that first job. That job is important. And I don't want to, to say that it's not important, but if the only thing that we have to quote unquote sell is that first job, then, then I think we sell ourselves short uh, as, uh, as liberal arts colleges and, and uh, higher education generally. Now at Hanover too, I think that's also about communicating value and no doubt part of what is driving some of the short-term concern is cost, debt, 
uh, and we have sought to respond to that with with our uh, three promises. We uh, Pell promise if you are a Pell recipient, we waive all tuition in return for your Pell grant. Uh, we also have a tuition lock now, so the, you pay the tuition that you enter with all four years. And then we also have a four-year graduation guarantee, which not enough families think about when they're comparing a private institution and a public institution about the time to degree. So we need to respond to those short-term concerns and career readiness, all those things are very important, but we also have to help educate our consumers, so to speak, as well as public policy advocates and others, that, that this is a long-term investment that really does have a long-term payout. And there's great data now from a variety of sources that shows the long-term value of a liberal arts education. Yeah, I think that the data is is really hard to dispute, right? Like when you see it, it is, it's fairly convincing. We know, we know what the long-term piece is. As, as you were saying, we are, we are short-term thinkers, not great long-term thinkers. Do you, do you think that that influences then how we have to talk to and advise prospective students when they're on campus, when they're talking to us? Does it change the messaging for, you know, it is about the first job, but it's about that 10th job, as you said? Well, it's hard. If you're 19 years old, a year is long-term thinking. And so that's just one of the realities for a place like Hanover, that that is the population that we work with. But, uh, but yes, it's just an ongoing conversation for them advising and, and in other ways is to, is to help folks think in, in different ways. And some of that is taking a longer term perspective on a, on a, whole, host of, a whole host of challenges that, that affect the world, that short term thinking is, is not good thinking. Speaking of, of longer-term thinking in terms of the, of the college itself, when you became president, Hanover didn't have a, a bachelor's of science degree. Since then, it's, it's been reestablished as well as new academic program in engineering. What was the process like to, to reestablish discontinues degrees and to add new programs to the institution? Well, I would say that the most important process was establishing the process. And so many decisions in higher education are evaluated on whether or not the decision was good, but then also whether or not it was a good process that brought you to the decision. And, and even though something can be clear as day right in front of you, if you screw up the process of getting there in higher ed, it can destroy and prevent you from achieving a laudable goal. So that was really our first step, was getting a shared vision of what that process would be. And that would in involve the faculty, it involved uh, the administration, it involved our trustees. Uh, we needed to talk about what a proposal for a new program would look like, what are some of the key questions that need to be answered about that proposal, what type of research would be done uh, to say that or to validate that there was a market demand for this new program or interest in that program. And, uh, and then also have a common uh, set of financial questions and a, and a financial kind of business plan pro forma that everyone could look at and then understand what was happening with the money. And that was what we spent a lot of time getting in place. And engineering became a, a test case for that very quickly so that we were able to run through the process with engineering and, uh, and that was successful. Uh, it had a faculty champion too, which was very important on the existing faculty. And so then we were able to move forward with that and get the ball rolling and be able to continue to look at new opportunities. 
the, the big stretch for us was when we moved beyond just undergraduate programs and started to look at graduate programs. And that's something that Hanover hadn't seen in over 100 years. And talk about that process a little bit as a, as a traditionally you know, small liberal arts program. How do you think about, you're, you're drawing closer to your bicentennial and you're working on a, a new strategic plan. How do you think about the future? How do you think about where does the, the institution need to be? How do we honor the history of the institution and it still change and be nimble for what students of, of the future will want from Hanover? Well, one of the things that I've tried to do, and I don't know if I've done it fully, but I've tried to become a student of the college's history and our history of change, uh, because I think that's a really important part to be able to tell that story, that this snapshot of Hanover that you're experiencing now, or that you experienced even uh, when you were a student, if you're an alumnus, is not the way Hanover College has always been. And there is a history of change that has occurred, and we can point to what that history is. It's a history of institutional resiliency in a variety of, of obstacles and challenges. And so then framing this monumental time that's just ahead for us in 2027, our bicentennial, as not necessarily just looking backwards, which I think bicentennial connotes, but I increasingly talk about we're preparing for Hanover's third century. That's the task. It's not celebrating 200 years of great achievement and, and what we've done. It's what are we doing to, to prepare for that third century, for what the students of the third century will need to be well-educated well educated people. You can learn from the past though. You can learn from the past about where we have been and how we have changed over those 200 years and in some ways, it's, it, it feels good to know that, that it's happened before and that we've responded to challenges in the past because there are a lot of challenges ahead for us. And we've, we've made lots of significant changes in the history of the college. But if you're focused on your little snapshot in time, you may not realize the significant changes that the college has made. Can you talk about some of the, some of the changes that you see coming, whether it's for Hanover specifically or just in higher education in general? Well, we've been working on a new strategic plan that, that we're rolling out um, that is, is talking about uh, uh, being welcoming and inclusive, paying attention to diversity, equity, inclusion, the new reality and demographic reality of, of what the American college student looks like and making sure that we're prepared to, to meet the needs of, of those students. We want to make sure that our undergraduate experience is the best possible for those students, especially given that there's a shrinking number of them just up ahead. And so we know that we're going to need to be in a great competitive position for that shrinking number of students. We want to be distinctive, and we see that a set of niche graduate programs that complement our undergraduate programs is a way to do that. It's also a way to prime the pump on the undergraduate side too, because they see pathways through a professional career. We need to think about how we're gonna to continue to recognize and care for our employees and their well-being, uh, given that we're a rural location, that we can continue to recruit great talent and retain that talent here. 
And then uh, as part of all that, we need to make sure that we have the facilities and the technology to, to accomplish all of those goals. So those all fit together in a, in a way, uh, but it's, it's an important part of planning for that third century. In there, you were talking about helping students to see the, see the pathways through in some of those graduate programs. How do you work with students to, to prepare them for that day of, of graduation? And, and as you talked about, prepare them for that 10 years down the road that maybe they're not even thinking about. Uh, what, what are some of the things that Hanover is doing? And what are, what are some of the places that you want to increase and have, have more impact? Well, I think in a, a traditional liberal arts college like Hanover, we're always balancing uh, a couple of different messages. And some of it has to do with the audience. So on the one hand, when I'm with our faculty, uh, I'm having the conversation that it is honorable to want to make a living. And there is nothing wrong with wanting to make a living. And then with students, it is a conversation that says there is more to life than making a living. And so putting those together is, a, is an important part of things. I think at a place like Hanover with our our um, Presbyterian heritage, we can feel very open to talk about things like having a calling, a sense of, a sense of purpose in life, and, and that that is going to be shaped for you as part of the Hanover experience uh, with four-year-long career planning process that's connected to advising that begins in your first-year seminar and that then continues throughout your time at Hanover. It's, it's about linking you to our expanded and more robust Levitt Career Center, where we're doing a lot more things in terms of mentoring, actively supporting internships, raising money for paid internships for students who might not otherwise have those opportunities to do a, a professional preparation and internship because they just need a job in the summer and they can't, they can't do an internship if it doesn't pay. So, Again, making sure that those students uh, have the tools, the skills, and experiences that they need to be career ready when they graduate from Hanover College, but then also that they, they see that there are a whole host of transferable skills from their time at Hanover, uh, the ability to learn, communication skills, the breadth of knowledge, all those things that we value as part of our, of our core curriculum and our majors that are going to continue to help them learn and reinvent themselves throughout their lives. And sometimes I, I give them my own little testimonial because I think that I, I model what a liberal arts education is every day because I have to learn something new every day. I, I'm the guy who got a PhD in, in Christian theology and ethics, but I have to make some multi-million dollar decisions about a sewer project on campus. Well, I can tell you, I took every course that Princeton Seminary offered on sewer, sewer systems. Uh, and, uh, and as a result, I have to learn a whole lot because I didn't learn much about that in school. I, I love that idea of, of modeling and, and, and how are we modeling and, and mentoring students uh, to, to see what comes afterwards, right? I remember being you know, 18 and going in and, and you have a very fixed vision of, of potentially what's going to happen. Uh, when you graduate uh, from college. So speaking of, of modeling for the students, as students are coming and visiting campus, uh, and I had the pleasure of visiting your campus, it's a, it's a great place and getting a great tour from one of your students. What's the piece of advice that you find yourself giving, you know, a young person contemplating Hanover or just contemplating the future in general? 
I think the the big or the best advice that I can give is to continue to explore and try new things. And I think that's more important now than ever. The pandemic has isolated folks and has kept them in their own little worlds and bubbles. And so it's a risk taking to try things new. And so one of the things that I tell first year students is if you see something or hear something that's happened and you don't know what it is, your proper response isn't, oh, I don't know what that is. I probably won't like it. It's actually the opposite. It's, oh, I don't know what that is. I should probably go try it because maybe I will like it. And that, that's a hard message, I think, again, because there is always the familiar, there's your room, there's your computer with Netflix on it, and a, a liberal arts college experience is so much more than that. And to be transformative, you really need to stretch out of your comfort zones, whether it's studying abroad or, or an academic course or a co-curricular club. That is the, the important thing because it's a strength of small colleges because we challenge students, but then also simultaneously support and nurture them in that challenge. And that's, I think, what, what a place like Hanover has to offer. Speaking of right, the students sort of pulling back into their, into their tribes or into their smaller groups or into Netflix and video games, um, and it's not, it's not everybody, I don't want to over, overgeneralize, but as, as we came out of COVID, right, and we kind of still coming out of it, so many students were displaced from, from their high school, from being in their groups of, of friends, from being able to have those interactions. How has that adjustment to Hanover been? And, and how do you see the role of Hanover in these students' lives as we sort of make our way out of this pandemic? Well, in the last uh, academic year, the current one that we're in, we've had a lot more conversations about at Hanover about academic preparedness and what may have been lost by students in the last that last 15 months of high school that may or may not have happened in a, in a traditional way, assignments that the traditional research paper that they might've had to write in high school, that maybe that had to go. And I, and I, and I don't want to cast any, any stones at, uh, at high school teachers because they, they have done, K-12 teachers have done amazing work during the pandemic too. But there are some things that uh, about an education that are scaffolded. And so you count on certain types of things at, at the college level that have already happened in high school academically. But then there are also a whole host of things that you count on just natural social development of students to have happened. And, and I think that we have to be honest that a lot of our students' social development was stunted uh, in those 15 months of the pandemic. Certain types of social interactions, dating, courtship, some of those kinds of things that, that weren't able to happen. And uh, again, the isolation and uh, high rates of anxiety that I think have been reported in, in many sources, anxiety, depression, all of those things too. But, but uh, dating and courtship is one of the ones that I think has stood out a little bit to us as being something that already was, uh, was different, but it was stunted too, and trying to figure out what that means. So lots of, lots of changes that we're just trying to figure out right now uh, because of those, that 15 month of sort of frozen in time. And how do you all continue to be, I think with COVID, we all had to be very nimble, obviously with moving courses online. How do you continue to be nimble with some of these unexpected consequences of, of COVID? And, and how do you lead a group to just be nimble when planning for the future like we were talking about earlier? Everyone wants some version of normal. 
And, uh, and I, I would say that for anyone in leadership today, and, and especially in higher education leadership, I think one of the biggest challenges is helping, helping the folks that you lead understand that normal isn't going to be stasis. It's, it's going to be constant change. And, and that's really hard because change can be stressful. And so that's, I think, what, what I would say is one of our biggest challenges, one of my biggest challenges is helping people, their stress and, and, uh, and morale are related to what's happening, but they're also related to expectations. And if your expectation is, is that, oh, we're going to get back to some type of normal and we're not going to have to pivot and, and all the different words that we use to describe what was happening, the masks are on, the masks are off, the sort of go get a test, don't get a test, you know, those sorts of things. What changes may change, but change is constant. And I don't think that that's, that, that is, that's a hard message. Uh, for folks to hear right now. And, um, and, and that's, that's, I think, going to be the challenge that, that I face and I would expect others. It strikes me, and I, I'm not sure I, I love the term of the new normal, but it, it strikes me that as, as, we, as we come back out of, uh, uh, of the pandemic is that this was happening sort of everywhere is faster change. And it, and it seems like higher education has been more exposed to that and that it will be a more perpetual state for higher education as we, as we keep moving forward. The podcast is, is titled Rebuilding the American Dream, and I wanted you to leave us, Dr. Lambert, with, with your opinion on, on just what does the American Dream mean, mean to you? Well, I mentioned earlier that uh, I've always been a student of, of Martin Luther King Jr., so to hear American Dream, it's hard not to think of his, his famous dream speech. But but I'm also very much aware of his, his later work where he talked about uh, the reality that there is an American nightmare too. And, and higher education exists within that, uh, that dichotomy. But I think that education by its very nature is a place of hope and opportunity. It's all, that's always our message and it has to continue to be our, our message. And it speaks to what all of us need to be attending to questions of access, questions of inclusion, questions of affordability. And finally, the, the fundamental part of education that the, the opportunity for transformation, transformation in new ways of thinking, new ways of being, discovering who you are, who you were meant to be. And I find those very inspiring. And uh, it's, it's the reason why I love this work. And I believe it's the reason why my colleagues at Hanover College love this work. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Lambert. It's truly been a pleasure to have you and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation in the future. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to me, Seth Gummery of Degree Insurance, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream. Find out more on our website, americandream.fm, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Degree Insurance. Until next time.